Hey everybody, welcome to Swedenborg Live. This is Off the Left Eye's weekly Q&A show. Uh, this is, we have a new name now. We've got a lot of new things that I'm really excited to tell you about. Um, I'm Chelsea Odner, not usually the host, but the host, the lucky host today. Um, I'm a production manager for Off the Left Eye and I write for our shows. And uh, we wanna get, you know, this is our chance to respond live to your questions. And so um, there's the live chat, you can get your questions in and it's not just me, but I've got some other people hiding here with me who you'll see in just a moment. Um, great panelists who are, we're gonna respond to your questions together. And so uh, here's Karen Childs. Hello, I'm Karen Childs. I'm one of the writers on Off the Left Eye and the community manager. And I'm so happy to be here with you today. Hey, and I'm Jonathan Rose, series editor of the New Century edition of the Theological Works of Emanuel Swedenborg. And I'm also a regular on the um, Swedenborgian Life show. And I get to be featured in a little bit about the NCE every week in the new podcast that's going to start this coming Sunday, July 19th. Hi, everybody. I'm Cara Dom. I'm the Latin consultant for the uh, New Century Edition and for Off the Left Eye. And I also am one of the uh, team members who responds to viewer comments on our shows, which I love. It's great to be here with you in person. Yeah, well, thank you all so much for being here. And so Swedenborg Live, this is because we have launched a lot of new things this week. And uh, one of them being this new weekly question and answer show. So part of what we're doing here at Off the Left Eye is that every week we have a new topic that we're digging into with all of our content. So on Monday night, there's the Swedenborg and Life show. And then Wednesday night is a news from heaven. Um, and then, or I'm sorry, not night. We've got a new showtime too. So uh, our all of our content now is premiering at noon Pacific time, 3 p.m. Eastern time and 7 p.m. Greenwich Mean Time. And so this is our new weekly uh, time today for our Q&A show on Fridays. And um, along with all these changes, we have, we've launched a new website. You can now go to offtheleftdie.com and there's a new newsletter you could sign up for called The Quick Update, uh, where you get to know um, what's coming up every week in terms of what topic we're exploring. Um, and like Jonathan mentioned, we've got a podcast too on Sundays um, that's sort of exploring the extras in the topic. And, and like Jonathan said, getting to hear about what's going on in the NCE and um, fun sort of historical context stuff. So uh, for these great works of Swedenborg's that we're exploring. Um, so this week, our topic has been uh, marriage in heaven. And our Monday night show was, will we be married in heaven? Yes, because a lot of the answers you'll get out there are no, but Swedenborg has a very different answer, which is not only just, yes, there is this possibility of marriage in heaven, but um, there's a whole framework for understanding it. There's, you know, we can learn about what that experience is going to be like. Um, and so especially if you have any questions around that subject, we'd love to hear from you now about them. And uh, as part of our weekly lineup, we are offering um, on Thursdays a reflection question weekly tied to this topic. And, and so here's the question that we put out this week that we've gotten some responses to um, that we want to share now with you all. So the question was, one of the things that Swedenborg writes is how love creates spiritual closeness in the afterlife. And this week we're exploring how marriage exists in heaven 
but we're all connected to each other in love right now, even across the veil. And so have you ever sensed the presence of a deceased loved one with you? And what communicated their presence to you? And so I'm gonna pass it over to Karin to hear some of those responses. Yeah, we got some beautiful responses and um, we couldn't get all of them and fit them in and we had to edit some down so we could uh, fit them. But here is here are a sampling. So I'll read through these and then we'll we'll respond afterwards. I see orbs of light out of the corner of my eyes. I feel my husband touching me sometimes. I get goosebumps or I will get chills or he lightly touches my face. I used to sense the presence of my deceased father when I was in my 20s and 30s. I also used to dream of my deceased loved ones a lot, but I have noticed since I got older, I lost that ability. It's sad because my husband of 29 years of marriage passed away on January 22nd, 2019, and still he has not come to me in spite of me praying for the entire duration since his death. Everyone came to me except him. That may, might be something we can comment on at the end of why some people don't seem to get the person that they really are longing for. Have had this many times, has happened in church and as I'm lying in bed before going to sleep. Often it is a feeling of pressure around my temples. Sometimes I see the person or persons or feel their presence. I was listening to a podcast about these men that created a spiritual communication device at that time, I felt my deceased mother standing at the end of my bed. It was very strange and it kind of frightened me. I think I'm one of the people that would love to see my deceased relatives, but I also think I would be petrified and terrified and wouldn't appreciate it, which is why I think it really doesn't happen often to me. In this pandemic and being financially fragile, I got a call for one of my life's dream projects, but being financially unsound, I was silenced so that I could not reply yes or no to the call. This silence, I think, helped me sense the presence of a deceased loved one with me. Hmm. Interesting. My grandfather died from cancer when I was 14. I'm now 42. I was very close to him. I felt his presence very rarely when I was younger, but the last couple of years, and in fact the other day, I could feel his presence and I see things like shadows a lot. My phone actually moved last week when I was asleep. I fell asleep with it. I normally do that, but when I woke up, it was in a completely different place. Now, I don't know if that was my grandfather, but that did happen. Maybe he's trying to tell me I'm on it too much. <laughs> After my mom died, she contacted me and said that if she knew what she knows now, she would not have been afraid of death. Yes. Thinking in tune with my mom, just unknowing it's her. Nice. Yes, I have heard from my son and my husband and many times through dreams, impressions, hearing them speak to me in my mind and feeling their presence. I asked for a visitation dream from my deceased pet dog and last night I had one. She was interacting with me and was very young, pup-like and playful. I looked up the symbolism of the things in, my dream, in the dream and they meant surrounded by eternal love and care. I know it was a visitation dream because she interacted with me and I could actually feel her fur and warm body. I know she's in heaven and letting me know she is fine. After my dad died, I had fairly frequent visions of him. One right after of my dad and his good friend and high school roommate walking and talking. I enjoyed his visits, 
frequently I felt like he was encouraging me to take care of your mom. After mom died, I never saw him again or mom until last fall, right after my husband was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer, there was mom with her reassuring smile. I actually saw my sister after she passed. And the final one for, that we recorded, be grateful. God knows what you need before you even think to ask it. Let him take care of the if or when. Just be thankful for your loved ones knowing that you will be reunited someday. Don't just look to dreams. God is probably sending you constant signs of your loved ones that you're missing because you're not looking with a faithful, grateful heart. And so the, and there were more that came in um, after we had finished gathering them. So please go read on the YouTube community tab and, and other place on social media where we posted the question to see some really beautiful stories. And I'm so grateful. And I was just struck um, by it. It can happen in so many ways, some very obvious, like actually seeing somebody and then some very subtle that you might not notice unless you were paying attention in a different way, which I often say to people if, if they haven't had an obvious visitation, well, just pay attention to feelings that come to you or thoughts or memories at a certain time. And because that's what I started thinking in terms of thinking, oh, let me consider that that is my loved one because just the, the timing and the way it felt, um, I've just come to believe that's, that's a very real thing. And I'll just comment on the woman who was uh, discouraged because she she didn't seem to get any communication from her husband. And I think sometimes that does happen that the person that most, you know, your own spouse or your own child or somebody, maybe other people have had a visitation from them or seen them, but you don't. And why is that? And, and I experienced some of that with my daughter. Um, other people were able to see her more than I was or had, had uh, communications with her more than I was. And I wonder if there's something a little bit, I think of the footprints foam, uh, poem, the uh, footprints on the beach poem where the, the times when you felt like God wasn't there, he's actually carrying you, that sort of idea. And, and Swedenborg saying during times of trial, when you might think God is absent, um, God is actually the most with you, like is just so deeply in inside you that you might not even notice because <laughs> just in your efforts to just get through the day. And I wonder if it's sometimes like that with the closest loved ones that maybe you don't get a, such an obvious thing. I mean, sometimes people do and it's, and that's a wonderful gift and very real, but I wonder if those who don't, there's just some way that your loved one is with you in such a very, um, as such, such a part of you that maybe you just, don't even notice because they're there so in your in your daily feelings and, and such. <laughs> so I wonder what you all think. Yeah, I mean, that reminds me of like being able to, um, same with when people come and ask us about like, well, what does this dream mean? Or what did this experience mean? We often encourage people to say, well, how did it make you feel? You know, what was the feeling that came along with it? Because that's what Swedenborg says is that angels inflow into our feelings and sometimes the deepest subtlest ones that are like just this sort of peace and comfort and that and and so it's true that there might not be a big bright sign around you suggesting that a loved one is there but that the feeling just tuning into a sense of uh you know listening for that trusting that feeling that you have that so and so is with me or not you know that 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 can be 
that's all the confirmation you need. Yeah. I loved a book that came out uh, a number of years ago called Hello from Heaven about unsought contact from deceased loved ones. This couple did, a, I think, 5,000 interviews for the book and, and wrote it up in chapters. And what surprised me so much about it was that it took so many different forms. For some people, it was a smell. For some people, a feeling of someone sitting on the bed. You know, some was like a vision. Some was like clock stopped or a door that you know you locked is now unlocked and all kinds of different things. It was really interesting. But the thing that was in common with a lot of them was that the exchange was very brief. And I, I like what you said, Karn, because some of those accounts, there's a purpose, <clears throat> you know, to reassure like pancreatic cancer, and then, then the, the, the loved one appears and just, it's going to be okay, you know, kind of thing. That there's a purpose to the communication. It's not kind of idle chit chat. Um, Curtis and I did a show about that a while ago. Why don't uh, our loved ones who've died communicate with us more? And, and um, so we explored that in greater length in that show. Great. Well, so yeah, like Karin said, there's going to be a new reflection question every week tied with the week's topic that you can um, find and respond to. It'll be on our community tab on YouTube and then also on at off the left eye on any of our social media channels on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter. So um, that it's really wonderful to hear all those responses from people. And uh, now we're going to get to some questions uh, and like we've been doing on our Q&A shows. So we're going to spend the next hour responding to your live questions. And, um, but we've got a, uh, a kind of a uh, incentive, if you will, because if we can reach um, $100 in donations in the, before the end of the hour, we'll give 15 minutes of extra time for responding to more questions. And so uh, if, if you're so inclined or inspired or finding comfort in these ideas that we explore on this channel, um, you can consider going to otle.causevox.com to give a donation and we'll be able to see our, our uh, thermometer going up and see um, that how close we're getting to reaching our goal. And so we just want to thank everybody who supports our work that makes it possible for us to uh, have do this weekly programming and, and get to be with you all every week. And so um, so get your questions in and give a donation if you feel called to do that and we'll be, and we'll get this kicked off. So, so this week, this marriage in heaven, our first question comes from Jody, and she asks, what would Swedenborg have to say about gay marriage and soulmates? Surely this love is like any marital love. And I feel like that's a great one to start with because that is a question that we get a lot of the time. And, um, and I feel like it would be good to spend some time talking about it because specifically with what would Swedenborg have to say about it um, is, is that Swedenborg um, in general really just talks about heterosexual marriages because um, he was also, he was writing in, in the 1700s. Um, and, uh, and so it was in just a very, he was he was ahead of his time in a lot of ways, but when it comes to marriage, he he talked specifically in terms of a male of a man and a woman being together in this eternal partnership, and that's the context that he's writing about when he come when he talks about marriage. Um, but but then there's a lot. He was also writing that there would be this 
he was writing at the dawn of a new spiritual era when there was going to be greater spiritual light coming into our world. Um, and, and even at, in his day and age, you know, educating women was basically unheard of um, and caring for children as being anything other than just helpful, you know, tools to use to, you know, forward business aims or whatever, just that there was, there are areas in our world where we've grown in understanding that now just so surpasses the context that Swedenborg was writing in. And, uh, and I just wonder for myself if, if gay marriage, um, as that also has been something, and even beyond that, gender identity, all of these sort of aspects where we seem to be, uh, Swedenborg wrote that a hallmark of the new church is being able to um, explore the mysteries of faith um, from a, with our understanding. So like that we can actually think about these things. And so it's not, you know, it seems like every, every part of life in, in what you'd call the new church era gets kind of turned over and really thought through like, well, what is this, you know, what is really going on? And we kind of are collectively expanding our, our spiritual um, understandings. So yeah, Karin. Yeah, I think it's um, striking to me to really look at how Jesus and then later Swedenborg um, writing as he called himself a servant of the Lord, that, that huge message is to always look at things from the inside out, not the outside in. You know, Jesus was um, teaching there in a culture that was very focused on external rituals, external um, adherence to very specific external laws and ways of doing things. And Jesus was always kind of turning things on their head, like the, the famous, like, get your sheep out of a ditch on the Sabbath day thing. Like, you know, he was just saying, wouldn't anybody just do that? You know, look beyond just a, a very literalist um, interpretation of that. And I'm thinking of this scene where he has, Jesus has a woman come who, who um, bows down at his feet and is weeping and washing his feet with her tears and wiping them with her hair, wiping them with her hair. And he has some men around him are saying, oh, well, if he knew what kind of woman that was, he wouldn't be letting her touch him. And the assumption, maybe Jonathan can weigh in here if this is, if there's validity to that, but she was a prostitute perhaps. And so they were very focused on her sex life, you know, like, what about your, your sex life is, is out of order and, and bad. And so you're bad. And, but he, he said, you know, he focused on that in his words, she has loved much, you know, like he wasn't going to get caught up in this external, like, what about this looking from the outside and what this th exact thing she's done and this and that he's looking straight at her heart and her intentions. And so that's striking to me. And when, um, what I see is Jesus and Swedenborg actually largely focusing on how sex is being used rather than external forms of sex. So they both spoke out against um, lust and adultery. And so lust meaning not just sexual desire, but using sex for self-gratification. And that is like, don't do that. And Swedenborg actually has these four hellish lusts. He lists of rape and seducing innocence and promise, basically variety, promiscuity. And what's the last one? 
somebody can I forget, but uh, but it's it's like using people for your own sex uh, gratification rather than using it for love, and then adultery, using sex to betray a commitment, and so it seems to me that that is what is the important thing. People are dealing with all sorts of external situations and bodies and life experiences and. And I think what the Lord is looking at is their heart and their intention. And that is what we should be focusing on instead of trying to judge what you or this uh, couple are doing and how they're doing it and everything. But just what are they trying to do? Are they trying to love each other? Are they trying to build commitment? Are they trying to build kindness? Are they trying to work together to, you know, make a positive difference in the world? And that I believe is what the Lord is looking at. And so I think that's what we should be focusing on <laughs> in regards to building marriage love and, and uh, rather than trying to decide, oh, this external thing, what, what about, what about that? The Lord looks at the heart. Mm -hmm. I, I don't want to lead with a bad pun, but uh, Swedenborg does not give a straight answer to this question. Um, <laughs> the, uh, the, uh, um, but seriously, um, uh, Swedenborg does, for, in a lot of his works, he, he talks a number of times it was that marriage is a topic that was interesting to him. And so he, all the way back in the second volume of Secrets of Heaven, early on, uh, he started talking about marriage. He has an end of a chapter, I think Genesis chapter 21, where he talks about marriage. And, and he keeps coming back to the topic. He, he seems to be very interested in it. Um, uh, he was a, a man of the world. He, he'd, he'd read the classics. He was, he was totally aware of, of the existence of homosexuality and, and all that kind of thing. In fact, the two places that he would publish his books, uh, London and Amsterdam, where he published his theological works, uh, that same freedom that allowed him to publish his alternate religious views there were also homosexuality was very much tolerated in those cities. Uh, they were just sort of relatively liberal cities in, in Europe at that time. So he, he was certainly, uh, you know, it's not like he didn't know about it or had his ears covered or didn't want to hear about it or something. So it's curious that in all the stuff that he writes about marriage, uh, and he writes about it in Heaven and Hell, right in the middle chapter, he talks about marriage, and then he has his whole book on marriage later. And um, it's interesting that he never... Uh, in the published theological works, I believe I'm correct in saying that in the published theological works, he 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 just does not address the issue of same sex one way or the other. He, he it's just interesting that he never says anything about it. There are some passages that he talks about in his unpublished manuscripts that were left on his desk, which were not you know prepared for the for the public or whatever. I'm just interested in his public, you know, his published works. He doesn't talk about it. He's, he's very focused, as Chelsea said, on that male-female relationship. But much more than that, he's interested in the whole love and wisdom relationship, like where the whole thing comes from. That, that's really what it's all about. And I like the way the show that aired on Monday night talked about the Lord's proposal to us, you know, that, that's the love relationship that, that's uh, really meaningful. That's the, 
that's the proposal, you know, and, and that give and take is, is what it's really all about. And that's what it all means. Uh, how that comes down into a particular life. And I agreed with what Karn said about, yeah, self-centeredness is bad. Compassion is good. Uh, love is good. Uh, you know, violence is bad. Uh, you know, people's freedom is good. Uh, taking away freedom is bad. You know, there, there's very sort of generalities that you can work from. So I've been very interested that um, amongst people who really delve into Swedenborg deeply and study his works, you have a broad range of opinions on this subject. You have some people who feel like, oh, well, Swedenborg didn't mention it because we shouldn't be thinking about that. It's, it's, it's bad, it's wrong, it's a disorder, and uh, we shouldn't be doing that. There are other people who read exactly the same books and come to the opposite conclusion uh, that this is about love and, and, and partnership and everything, and it's just wasn't the time then for him to be writing about it one way or the other or, or, or whatever, you know, various different theories. So it's interesting that there's a range. And I think maybe the reason it's not mentioned in that way in the published theological works is to leave us in freedom. It, it, it has left us to sort of search the topic for ourselves. But I've really... I've really been interested in this whole thing. And, and to me, when you see an image of uh, just tremendous selflessness, love, devotion, like those qualities choke me up wherever I see them. <laughs> you know, they're, they're beautiful. That's, that's it for me. Yes. Go ahead, Kara. Uh, yeah, I think um, somewhere in Couture de Love, the, it defines true marriage love as approaching the Lord directly, learning the truths of the church and doing its goods. Like that is what marriage is. And so that is something that happens in each individual. Um, and I think that that just, that's one of the lines of text that's behind what Jonathan said about the proposal is from God to us. You know, that's, that's where the good give and take is. And what also comes to me right now is that that quote from the Bible that says, what does the Lord require of you but to do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God? And I don't know. That seems applicable here, too. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah, Karen? Just a reminder, too, that the final chapter in the book, Marriage Love, is a strong <laughs> statement about judge not as Jesus said, that Swedenborg is saying, nobody can look at anybody else's relationship and know anything about the core of it. The Lord is the one who sees the sincerity or the lack of sincerity or whatever. Um, so we are told, do not judge anybody else's relationship. Just work on, work on your own. <laughs> That's great. Oh, cool. It's really great to hear from all of you guys about those, about that topic. Um, and and I am, uh, yeah, it makes me think of just the way that, um, you know, that read, reading, if anybody goes and reads Conjugal Love, they will, the, the book, that's the book that Swedenborg wrote that really was just devoted to marriage love. So he wrote a whole book eventually, very, at the second last book he published um, was on this topic. And so if you go and read that book, you're um, on the surface, it's going to be putting it in terms of men and women but I think you'll get that sense that he's leveraging this external experience that we have in the world to get us to think about marriage.
family perspective from this, I mean, devotes multiple chapters to just how it's the marriage of love and wisdom that is the reality that God is. And that's what we're all invited to participate in. And when we move closer to that and the way Kara was saying, that's, that's when we, um, we all get to participate in this marriage and, and support it in each other. So that's a really uh, beautiful thing. Um, great. So uh, let's see, we've got another question before I read it. I just want to say again, if anybody, um, you can get a donation in at otle.cosvox.com. And if we reach a hundred dollars donation in this hour, then we'll go an extra 15 minutes. Um, and now we have a question from, Mr. CNJ Williams asks, uh, sorry, yeah, Cara, were you about to say oh, something? No. Okay. Oh, no. <laughs> this is hard. Moderate. <laughs> I'm seeing more people than you audience out there are seeing. So Mr. CNJ Williams asks, just wondering if it is even possible for our spouses to date or fall for someone else on the other side while they wait for us. Um, that's a really, really fascinating question. Um, and you'll, this, this coming week, we our next week's show is going to be about more the soulmate, like what happens to spouses in the afterlife. Um, so stay tuned for that too. But yeah, so Karen, do you want to kick this one off? Or, or uh, Kara had something though. Kara, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, thanks. <laughs> um, the first thought. There's a few thoughts. Swedenborg doesn't talk about that specifically, but here's a few thoughts about it. One thing is that time in our world is not the same thing as what's happening in the spiritual world. So what may be us waiting to get together with our spouse again, um, it might be 30 years. And for them, you know, we just don't know. Their spiritual states are progressing in whatever way that is. And it just, you know, it just might not match up with our experience of time. Um, Another point is that the Lord is in charge of our spiritual journey at all times. I mean, we're on a spiritual journey that is divinely guided every second, whether we're here sitting next to our spouse or not, whether they're over there and we're here. Um, and it's hard to believe, but I think it's, it's something that I work on trusting, trying to trust. Um, and the whole system is set up so that it's a fair shake in the other world. So nobody's going to get to the other world and say, what, honey, you found somebody else without me. You know, it's, it's not going to be like that. I mean, you're going to, I mean, Swedenborg does say that married partners will get together in the other world and they'll ha and they will come together and have a chance to see, are we the real thing here? Now that we're our, you know, now that our spirits are perfectly reflected in our externals, is this the real thing for us or is our real partner somewhere else? Um, so people get a chance to see, yes, hooray, here, let's get back to it. Or I love you so much. Best wishes with your real partner, you know, that kind of thing. Um, but it's so it's not going to be like he, the husband's yanked away and off with somebody else before you have a chance to work it out. It, it's going to be a fair shake. Nice. Yeah, yeah Karen. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, it's it's going to be feels 
so right and so fair, like Cara says, and time doesn't make a difference. I think people might worry more about that if a lot of time has passed, but earthly time is irrelevant <laughs> for the person on the other side. And I feel like as a moderator, when I've seen that question come up from people, it's, it's a fear, it's a normal fear when you're separated from the one you love because there's this inbuilt fear if you love somebody that you're gonna lose that love. Um, but I do feel like um, that's hell just trying to make you upset to, to think that way. I mean, if you feel in love with somebody and you feel like your love is real, that person is still who he or she was when they were still on earth. They haven't just suddenly changed into somebody else who just isn't interested in you anymore. If, if you know that you, you had love between you, that love is still real. They are still who they are. Um, I think there's no, you know, there's, there's no good thing that can come out of starting to um, get fearful about that kind of thing. So just trust, trust in love. If you feel like what you have is real, trust that the Lord knows that and, and just uh, assume that you are still connected with your partner and, and don't let fear, um, you know, it, it, if, if your spouse was on a, a trip, would you worry about they're just going to fall in love with somebody else, if, you know, just in the world. So they're just somewhere else out of your sight, but that doesn't mean they aren't in love with you and are just going to get distracted because they don't see you for a while. So I'd say just watch out for those normal fears, but that's just hell trying to mess with you. I, I think love is so important and it is what, you know, as the Bible says, God is love. And, and, um, and I'm very interested that uh, long before you had uh, Freud or Jung or, any sort of organized field of psychology, as far as I know, um, uh, Swedenborg talks about the other life as if it's what sounds to us like kind of a therapeutic process that people go through after they die. And a big part of the therapy is to get to look at relationships or some of the anecdotes that Swedenborg tells about people passing on. It's even, you know, girlfriend, boyfriend, like, you know, you were, you were interested in this person or you were smitten with that person. Or, or it's interesting and not just even that kind of primary relationship. I'm probably making things worse by saying this, but I think it's very interesting uh, that, that love is so important. You need to kind of see it again. And we sometimes go through this in, in this world, don't we, where you have a high school reunion or something and you, you, you see your old girlfriend, you get to kind of see it in a different light and sort of evaluate what was there and what wasn't there and, and all that. And it sounds like it's kind of like that in the other world. And I think that process just, it, it waits for us. Like we're an important part of that process. It doesn't happen without us, you know, like, like you, you go there and, and you go through that. And Swedenborg does describe this several times. I think on the, um, one of the issues of the podcast in a few weeks it, might be delving into this because it's about a, a, a couple and, and what happens in the other world. There's just interesting information that it seems like it all waited until the last person passed on and then you do the processing, you know, kind of thing, mm. uh, you know, um, 
so it, it, it's very interesting. There's also some talk, uh, there's one passage where it sounds like um, if couples are even confused about whether they have a quorum, so to speak, uh, there's a kind of a panel of wise people you can go to and they can kind of tell you, yeah, it works. This works. Sure, this works, right? It works. <laughs> and uh, so that's a strange idea. But sometimes we're confused about what's going on in our hearts. We don't really, I, I don't know. I feel something. I, I, I don't know what it is. And, and um, so I think love is so important that there's this, this is a lot of what we're going to be doing. And I would say not only romantic relationships, but also friendships, you know, people you're related to, people you disliked intensely and, and so on. Just these, these feelings, a hundred years before people started talking about psychology or anything about therapy, Swedenborg was writing about these kind of processes in the other world. So I, I, I think it's probably only more so now, although I think now some people get to do this, some of that work here, you know, you get to resolve something like these great movies where you go back and, and, and see the, the loves of your life and, you know, figure out which, which one was the, the closest, the one you're closest to and that, that sort of thing. So I hope I haven't made it worse. I, I feel for everybody. <laughs> That's great. Um, I love that. So, um, well, I want to pause and just say that we've gotten some donations. Thank you, Gloria and Matthew. We're now 30% to our goal of $100. And then so we're getting close to being able to give you guys 15 more minutes of um, question and answer time. And I want to say, too, that our topic this week is marriage in heaven to give people a chance to ask these kinds of questions. But feel free to ask any any old questions about Swedenborg and spiritual life kind of stuff that that you know, is on your heart. That's, that's what we're here for. Um, and, uh, and I just wanted to tag on to what other people were saying about this one question that, um, you know, just like we were talking about with the previous question about marriage, that, that we, uh, it, it really comes down to our own spiritual work, you know, our own life stuff. And that that's sort of the primary thing that's happening when we, like you have to be figuring out yourself and understanding yourself and all that kind of stuff before you can be led to your eternal partner. And that can take a long, long time. Like there's just one example that I came across recently in Swedenborg's works. He described it's like 20 years that he knows that this person was in the afterlife 20 years. I mean, in his experience, he knows from when they died to when he saw them meeting their eternal partner. So that's like, um, you know, they're just the, the time, you know, we're complicated beings and <laughs> it takes a while for us to figure ourselves out, but we have the Lord, you know, heaven, everything good and wisdom supporting us in, in this process to, to find, to be led to our spiritual home. You know, that's where, that's where we're all going. Um, so, uh, okay. So here's our next question. Um, again, if you want to support our work, you can go to otle.causevox.com um, and, and help us reach our goal. But so Matthew Bush asks, if you're thinking of your spouse in heaven and they are in hell, is there still presence? So I think it's like, you know, we want to, we don't necessarily really know what's going on with our partner in the afterlife. And so are we messing with the wires if we're thinking of them somewhere that they're not or something? So um, anybody want to take it, take the start here, Karen? Yeah. Sure, I'll get it started. Uh, yeah, really interesting question. 
I, I know that when we go, when we cross over into the afterlife and we go into the world of spirits, which is where everyone first goes in between heaven and hell, where we start kind of sorting out who we are and what, who we want to be. Um, anybody that we are thinking of or care about will, will be brought to us. You know, I, I believe it doesn't matter where they are in the spiritual world. Um, they come because of the connection we have felt with them and we will be given a chance to, um, meet again and, and evaluate our relationship with that person and, and all that. And so while we're on earth, I think you can think of it in the same way. Like if, if um, I think in, it doesn't really matter where they are, or what, here I am on earth and I'm thinking about somebody in the afterlife um, that has been a part of my life. Um, I think I don't need to, worry about like where that person is so much as just um uh we have a connection and you can just be thinking about that and i um and working within your own heart about your relationship with that person so i think there would be connection through that that shared experiences you've had and then when you get to the afterlife um you can work out where you where you both stand as far as where you're eternal <laughs> goals uh, are unfolding. But um, I think, yeah, there would be still a presence of some kind just through your own thoughts, just like you can meet somebody from your past life and maybe they went a very, uh, you know, it, who's still in this world and they've maybe gone a very di different direction than you have, but you still have this like little bond from the time you spent together and there's still ways you, you uh, interact. And, you know, if you've, met somebody that was your friend from school and stuff. And maybe I'm very different from that person now, but yet I can feel that affection. Like it's just fun to, to uh, re-experience that connection and, and what we meant to each other. And that's still there. So there are some thoughts to get started. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. I think something that comes to my mind um, to jump in about it myself now that like, uh, the, the Lord, like heaven, this whole thing is not in any hurry for anybody to go to hell. Like only, only if you're really desperate to go there. And even then they kind of want to like, are you really sure? You know, like they're like, you really have to fight for it um, in the way Swedenborg's framework is of the afterlife. And nobody's worried about anybody just hanging out in the world of spirits for like centuries and to just kind of like see, is there any goodness you know, that can be salvaged in this, like, I'm just saying the chances are, if you've lost a spouse in your own earth lifetime, they're probably in the world of spirits. I mean, like, were they really such a bad person that they would have been in, in hell? I don't know. So it's, you have to be really devoted. And Swedenborg describes whole communities being kind of locked in the world of spirits and unable to go to heaven or hell because of the connections that they have with other people, like those sorts of connections kind of keep people in the world of spirit. Like there's, we're not, no man is an island in the spiritual world. And so they're like it, there are just processes that have to happen before, uh, before like the full clarity comes of like, all right, I am, I want nothing to do with goodness, nothing to do with heaven or the Lord. I'm just, my home is in hell or something. And, um, 
And so that the, just the thought occurs to me that it's like, if you have a connection with somebody like that in the other world, chances are they might, even, even if they are destined for hell, they're uh, because they're choosing it or something, they might just be hanging out in a not great part of the world of spirits for a long time <laughs> before you have the chance to kind of work things out or have a chance to talk. I mean, all the things that Karin said too, but, but just that, that, that there's like, there's a lot of zones in between that, that you can just be chilling at in the, in the spiritual world for a long time. Jonathan. Yeah. Yes. And, and people are multi layered too. Um, Swedenborg spent a lot of quality time with people in hell or from hell in the world of spirits. And he said uh, other people would be horrified to see him surrounded by thousands of these characters. And he said, it's not only not harmful, but beneficial if you're protected by the Lord, uh, because you learn a lot. And, and it's very interesting. He had in, in humorous exchanges with these people and stuff like that. So I, I think we can, I, I suffer at times from, having kind of a childish idea, well, you're in heaven, you're in hell, you know, or something like that. But actually there's different parts of us. And when something calls you into the world of spirits, then people will, will, will be there, even if their soul is kind of in hell, they can still connect from there and, and so on. So I think it's more uh, living and, and flexible. Um, and I do think thought brings presence no matter what it is. I mean, all loved ones get together in the in the other life anybody you think about or or have fond feelings for or whatever and so i i definitely think there still would be uh, a presence there uh there are the the one exception i can think of is that there are some people like the people who are right before the spiritual time known as the flood in the bible who were so bad that they're like locked away under some rock somewhere and they're not allowed to interact with people. But that's so extraordinary that Swedenborg has to mention it because usually uh, it's a highly interactive mix and match world. And, 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 um, uh, and um, so it's not bad to be having these exchanges or, or, or something, you know what I mean? Yep. That's great. So uh, just to jump in here, we have actually reached our goal and surpassed it. <laughs> we have reached. <laughs> Thank you so much to an anonymous donor and to Debbie Jo. Um, Thank you so much. You get it. We're, we're going to stick around and answer more questions. Um, and that's really, really means a lot to have that support um, and to help us continue to dig into these ideas and continue to create content that can help us all kind of explore these subjects and, and think about uh, all the, all the ins and outs of the spiritual world and spiritual life. Um, so uh, did anybody else have anything they wanted to say about that? Matthew's question. Great. So thank you so much for that question. It's really interesting to think about Matthew. And now we have a question from Keith. Keith asks, you say a wife and husband become like one angel. Does this mean we serve others in the same manner? Or will my wife and I have different methods of serving the community? Interesting. So, <laughs> um, yeah, Jonathan. Um, uh, I'm not sure. It's a, it's a very, very interesting question. I've wondered a lot what form that oneness takes because obviously for love there's still a sense of distinction between the two of you i mean love requires 
it's like a spark plug. You need a gap. <laughs> or do, do people still use spark plugs anymore? I don't know. But, <laughs> but, but uh, the, the back in the day, you used to have to gap the spark plug to get it just right where the jolt will go across. And, and um, so I don't think you lose the distinction uh, between people. Uh, but I do think you're, you care about the same causes and so you're working towards the same things. And in fact, everybody in your heavenly community is, is working toward those same things, although in a great variety of ways. And um, I, there's a, a weird little recollection that comes to mind of a passage where Swedenborg describes having a conversation and there was kind of a divider in the house and the spouse was on the other side of the divider. You know, I, I, and I don't know if that fits here, it just pops to mind, but I think it's it possibly indicates that you're working on the same things, but it still may be, I mean, it's, it's to, it's together, but I don't think it's just like you always do exactly the same thing or so, you know, I, I think you bring your you-ness to it and the other person brings their theirness, and, and, and that's how it goes. But you're absolutely right that the, I love the question because uh, service as the Swedenborg life show talked about, is so crucial to Swedenborg's view of marriage and what it's not that you're eternally gazing into each other's eyes. It's, you know, it's the usefulness that you can do to the community that really makes the relationship vibrant and alive. That's great. Karin. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what, what Jonathan was saying about a, a shared goal or something you, you both care about but you would be working on it together in unique ways. And I'm thinking of the, the couple we had on last Monday's show, Rich and Anastasia, who had this company together, this landscaping company, and how Anastasia was talking about, they're actually very different uh, people in like the kinds of things they like to do in that company. She's more the, the numbers person, and he's more the working with the people, people person, and, um, and they have some shared things they do, but, it was a great example of how just working together on this particular function, this particular uh, thing to do, and yet they have uh, their very unique gifts that they both bring to it. And the joy in being those two unique people with unique skills, um, working, uh, each bringing those different skills to this same cause that is making this beautiful <laughs> yard and garden in the end. And so that's, a way I think about it, that it will not be you doing you and your spouse doing the exact same things, but you'll have the same uh, thing you care about and you'll be working in teamwork on something that you each have a, have a role to play. And I think maybe the added thing that we can't as much sense in this world is I, I get the sense that the, the spouse is there, their thoughts and feelings are affecting each other all the time in a more, tangible way. Like I might be doing my thing and my I'm feeling kind of my spouse's feeling <laughs> about that. Like we, we are besides just our words, like in this world, I might be talking with my husband as we're working on something together. But I think there you can just kind of feel each other's feelings and your thoughts are flowing, interacting back and forth in a, in an even more efficient and fun <laughs> way. So there, there are some thoughts about that. Nice. Yeah, I, uh, it makes me think of, I was reading a number recently in 
uh, might have been in Secrets of Heaven. I forget exactly where I happened upon it, but it was this fascinating number where Swedenborg is remarking on how he found himself in a certain spiritual community in heaven. And um, he said that even the local spirits or like certain angels were amazed that this community even existed because everybody there was so different from each other. Um, <laughs> that, that he was like, how do, people are like, how does that even work? And, um, and he, and he's like, well, it's that, you know, the common good is what holds people together. So you have these people who you would just not think could even, get along together, forming this very viable and vibrant um, heavenly community. And so there's sort of an inference there of like, well, that could be happening in a couple as well. Um, and and something Swedenborg, I'm pretty sure, says in, in his work, Marriage Love or Conjugal Love, is that the varieties of married love or married couples, I think he says, are like the infinite variety of, of flowers in existence. Um, on the planet. And I think of that sometimes when I'm seeing flowers and, and there is just so much variety. There are just so many different kinds of flower that you just think, why do we call them all flowers? They're so different from each other. Um, like they, they have different shapes. They look so different, different colors. Anyway, that, that, um, that's just to say somebody, you know, you might have a very you know, it, it just might be very celebrated. Like there's no rules of like, well, what is going to be my marriage? It might be that you're the example of this very unique flower of marriage in the afterlife where you're showing other people, hey, we're so different and yet we're totally bonded to each other. Um, and uh, and that would be a beautiful form of the marriage of love and wisdom, you know, itself. So um, yeah, Cara. Yeah, I've heard people say that they're not so sure about going to heaven because you live in the community with everybody who is just the same as you. Like uh, that is so boring to eternity. <laughs> so this hearing you guys talk about uh, the variety within um, unity is just, you know, that's, that may be reassuring for people who have that fear. Um, and Swedenborg does say that it's the variety of heaven that makes its perfection. So yeah, that that's something that uh, could apply in marriages too, perhaps. Yeah, that's great. Wow, thanks. So um, I want to pause again and say thank you to a few more people who have donated. So thanks to Sean and Eric and Mindy and Keith and John. And so we have now surpassed our goal. We've quadrupled our goal. Um, <laughs> we, we, uh, four four hundred fifteen dollars. Uh, from 10 donors. Thank you so much to everybody. Um, and, and so we're just going to keep powering on here because we've got, we've got so much wind beneath our wings here from everybody. So, um, so we've got another question and so keep getting your questions in, um, cause we'll be here. We've got another 20 minutes and, um, and also, uh, you know, we're, we won't say no to more support. So if you want to support us, you can go to OTLE cosvox.com and so now we have this question from sharon sharon batten asks can our loved ones send signs um yeah karen i would say yes um i don't know what the exact mechanism of that is because sometimes i think about it like it's well everything is really the lord doing it but it's it's definitely 
through my loved one's consciousness because I definitely had um, times after my daughter died where just just at the moment I couldn't go on, some little physical thing would happen that I felt like was a direct message to me that that sustained me in that moment. And one one example is I um, I had a shelf with various things that she had made. Um, she was eight years old when she passed away. So I had these uh, childhood little things she had made. And, and um, I was just having a really rough day for various reasons and in my grief. And, and I, well, actually, I, now I remember it was, we had actually gotten a new computer in our household and we were feeling for the first time in months since she had died, a little bit of sort of happy, like, they're kind of fun. And I had this wave as often people in grief do like, wait, is that okay to even feel happy when mm-hmm. it's not here? And I was starting to get hit with backlash about like sort of guilt about feeling excited about anything. And I was just walking by this shelf and a, and a card that was on the shelf fell down right at my feet. And I picked it up and it had been a card that she had made for me years before that said something like mom, I hope soon you will feel happy, not sad. Here's here's what you are now. And it was sort of a gloomy rainbow. And here's what I want you to be. And it was this bright, colorful rainbow. And I don't even remember the circumstance that she had made that (laughs) physically, but that it fell right at my feet right then just totally felt like a sign from my daughter that like, mom, I want you to feel happy. (laughs) Don't fight that. So I do believe we get signs. like I said, I don't know the exact mechanism if it's her <laughs> tipping that off the shelf or it's just the Lord flowing this something down. But yes, I do believe. <laughs> wow. Thank you. That is so, such a sweet story to hear. And that is just so um, amazing. I just, I love that. I love that so much. Um, I, uh, in thinking about signs, um, myself, I, it's one of those things where I found for myself, it is similarly, and I've heard this expressed from other people too. And it's like what you're saying, Karin, that it's, there's, seems like a a part of Providence is that the veil can get a little bit thin when us earthlings, you know, need some support when we're kind of losing our ground. And, and I don't want to say that because it's like, wow, there's plenty of times where we can feel really despairing and we don't feel like anybody calls us on the phone, you know, or like there's no help. Um, so that's not, uh, there's providence at work in, in all of it, but, um, but just that that's, I just find that that's true for me too, that the signs that I feel like I've experienced have been similarly when I just kind of needed a little, a little bit of a wake up call or like a little bit of a snap, snap out of it, you know, in the most loving way. <laughs> yeah, Jonathan. Yeah, I I agree. And and um, there are, um, I have found signs can be sort of tricky. I can sort of drive myself crazy with it, sometimes wondering whether something was a sign or not, or am I reading it right or not. And so I have found over time to, um, very inspired by Swedenborg's book, Divine Providence, to kind of filter everything through my freedom and rationality, Mm. Uh, you know, because uh, you can think there are are signs that that may not be, I'm not denigrating anything that was just said, it was beautiful. And I have heard other stories like that. I heard a a story of a 
it wasn't from a loved one, but a, a man uh, told me, right, right, sitting in the next room with me, in the, in the same room with me, said uh, that he had been through an experience where he was wondering whether God existed and he was in absolute despair, which seems to be in common with some of the stories that, that we're talking about. And, um, uh, and he was walking alone in the woods and he said, just if you exist, just give me some kind of a sign, just something, you know, and he really wasn't expecting anything. And he literally felt a tap on his shoulder and he turned around and in the woods, there was a cat up in a tree that tapped him on the shoulder as he went by <laughs> underneath the branch. <laughs> it's not even subtle, you know. Um, so, and I've had times where just, I, I remember praying about something and being in despair and all of a sudden this bird decided it had to get into the house and it's just banging on the window. And, and uh, yeah, there are times when, especially when you're in a difficult state, I think if you're just up in your head and trying to read omens or so, you, I don't know, you can, you can sort of drive yourself nuts with, with that stuff. But um, I, I think if it's a, if it's a comfort, comfort, you know, or, or the, uh, the, the love is is so often the the underlying message yeah i'll, I'll add i t totally agree there have been lots of other times i sure wanted a sign and nothing <laughs> ever comes so it's definitely something just to hold lightly and just think of it in terms of all of divine providence when something happens just notice and be grateful and accept it as a, a little <laughs> sign of love but also when nothing happens uh, I need to trust that that's still part of the, the Lord's loving care of me. And there's some reason why that just wouldn't be useful for me right then, even though I might think it would be. So yeah, it's definitely something not to get too <laughs> in your head about, but just hold it lightly, go through, trust the Lord all the time, trust that your loved ones love you still. And yeah, whatever happens is <laughs> in the stream. Yeah. yeah, and it, it's it's not a reflection or an indictment of your relationship if you're getting a sign or not. Uh, if if you or someone is not getting messages from your spouse who's passed away, it is not a judgment that, see, your marriage really wasn't any good. Uh, not that. Yeah. <laughs> Nicely done. Yes. <laughs> Just think of Kara next time. <laughs> so, <laughs> next time you're wondering. Yeah. Um, and I, I'll just plug the, uh, the podcast that comes out on Sunday. Um, Curtis and I talk about some of these experiences uh, in this, in this upcoming episode that'll be coming out this Sunday where you can listen to it anywhere. You can listen to podcasts. The inside off the left eye is what the show is called. And we, and we talk about some, some of these experiences there too. Um, we've also now even further exceeded our goal. I want to thank Chris for the donation and we're now at 440. Thank you so much to everyone. And we're in our extra time now. And we have a question from, I don't know, I'm going to pronounce this wrong, but if I pronounce it straight, it's like, kiss me sis, or is it kiss me sis? I don't know. Um, and, oh, kiss me sis channel asks, are there any signs of someone being your soulmate here on earth? Can one be soulmates and not really be attracted on earth? Mm. Um, Fascinating. It's, I mean, it's a very interesting question. And just the first thing that pops to my mind is that 
Swedenborg says that he sees people who have gotten together in the afterlife. And as far as I know, they don't, they didn't even know each other on earth. Like their lives just didn't cross or they might've been like contemporaries, but never actually met each other. So it turns out like it could be, you don't even meet the person, even have the chance to know whether you'd be attracted to them or not on earth. Um, that, that's just one sort of example from Swedenborg's experiences, but Kara, yeah, go ahead. Uh, yeah, the first thing that came to mind was that um, he talks about how most marriages on this earth are contracted for very external reasons, especially in his day when, you know, like geography, location, uh, class, um, yeah, w what kind of job you do, what the office, nowadays, the office you report to, etc. So, so a lot of us start with external similitudes, you know, similarities that we share that pull us together. Um, and yet that doesn't necessarily mean we're soulmates. It's sometimes gets people into a marriage, which may or may not be the thing, you know. But anyway, that I, that was something I re really rebelled against. Like, I'm not marrying anybody for external reasons. But <laughs> it really is at play in this world. You know, there's outer things that uh, attract us to each other and um, get us in each other's circles in the first place to even find each other. Go ahead, Jonathan. Yep. Swedenborg does... Um... To circle back to something we were saying earlier, he his his emphasis, and I I forget about this sometimes. Need to be reminded is is on being a soulmate, like becoming a soulmate your, I yourself. Love that. That's you such know, a yeah, yeah. The 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 finding we can so easily get distracted by. If I could just find the right person, you know, instead of being the right person for somebody else, even if you're married for many decades or something, you're still working on being that person who's worth being married to kind of thing. And, um, uh, and there are stories, there are stories across time and we've all known love stories. Uh, I'm saying in Swedenborg where uh, yeah, people who end up together, it, it was quite a surprise that some may have been uh, from a different time period or, or whatever, you know, it's just, it, it sounds like it comes in all different types um and uh we've all heard of stories where people were friends for a long time and then they started to look at each other differently and feel different about it. you know what i mean i i wonder if it's like that it, that, that for some people who you've you've known each other or, or whatever but then you start to see each other in a in a different light or you feel a kind of love that you and you realize you you appreciate this person more than you thought and sometimes we don't know what our heart is doing. Don't the French say, uh, la coeur a ses raisons, mais la raison ne les connaisse pas. Uh, the heart has its reasons, but the reason doesn't know what they are, you know. And, uh, so, <laughs> sorry about my French. Excuse me. <laughs> Excuse your French. No, we love French here. Okay, go ahead, Karen. <laughs> Yeah, I think you're you're touching on something really. I was gonna say, and you're saying becoming a soulmate. So instead of having the the goal of where's that perfect person for me, like how can I um, become somebody that can love somebody else and therefore be loved? And if when you're in a marriage, 
you know, of course, if there's bad circumstances and everything, that it, that doesn't mean you have to stay in uh, in the marriage you're in. But um, but you can just sort of have these doubts along the way because you're building something and it goes deeper, you know. And and you might have this uh, Cara talking about the earthly reasons. We do all start out, even if um, because the Lord knows who you're going to end up with in the end, but but uh, that because of divine foresight, but you do build it. It's not something that's already there. You, you build it and out of your free will and your efforts. And so if you're, we all just do start out a little bit surface in our, in our um, relationships because we, it, there's external attraction and external, like Cara was saying, external uh, similarities or whatever. And you have to go through the process of going deeper. You have to, hang in there through the hard times. You have to become better friends. You have to build trust. You have to build friendship. And that takes time and it's it's not easy. And so you might um, fall into the trap of thinking, oh, well, maybe this isn't my soulmate because I'm really irritated with him or her right now. Um, but to remember that soulmate is uh, something you you build and it's it only happens from, um, you know, from, from putting in that, effort. So it's again, something to hold lightly, like not worry about, is this the perfect person for me, but what can I do to build marriage here? And to know in the end, it actually doesn't matter whether this is your eternal person or not, because if you're building, if you're working on um, being kind to another person and being in relationship, you know, um, being relationship with another person that is building your marriage, whether it's to this person or not in the end. And that's really important work, you know, just learning how to love someone and trust someone and be kind to someone and consider their feelings and all and work with them, all that stuff. Yep. That's great. Thanks. So uh, let's get, I think we have time for one more question probably. Um, and we have this question from, which of the Wildwood, who asks, are we required to get married in heaven? Are we allowed to be single? Or do you think our angelic selves would always want to be married? And, uh, and I know since our show on Monday, we have gotten a few comments from people along those lines of, uh, you know, that good, good for those people, you know, who want to be married, but like for other people who maybe just aren't, aren't interested. Um, and, so uh, who, who wants to start us off here with this one? Go ahead, Jonathan. Swedenborg talks about um, the, the only examples I can think of that he gives off the top of my head are people who have actually taken a vow of chastity or, you know, a, a, a nun or somebody like that. And, he, and some of these people are, are very devoted, he says, to those vows. And uh, they, don't, they don't marry um, in, in the other world. Um, because they, that was a religious principle to them um, and so on. But some people who did have that vow see it in a different life after death and, and, and do get together with somebody. And um, uh, so it'll be interesting to see. There's a eternity is a long time, you know, and <laughs> it's not even related to time in a way, but, it, but uh, the, uh, it's just interesting to, to see how, how one's heart will develop over time, because sometimes it's a question of, and we've heard this story too, haven't we, of uh, meaning where you have friends or in a movie or something where somebody's like sworn off the whole 
I even went through a phase like that at one point. It's like, I'm done. That's it, <laughs> you know. And then I then I fell in love with somebody. And and so when when someone comes into your life, sometimes your your heart gets into a different state. But I, there's no requirement that I know of. In fact, Swedenborg is very emphatic on the fact that freedom and love have everything to do with each other. It, it's totally about freedom. It's there's it's not about compulsion there's no law like everybody has to you know you know find somebody or something so yeah that's certainly true that consent he says is the essential of marriage and so if there were no consent then certainly you couldn't be required to be married the whole you literally can't be in the same place as somebody else if you really don't want to be so it's like because your will is what determines your whole environment in the spiritual world and so um and it's and the uh, Swedenborg writes in uh, in marriage love I think uh, it, that that the work of divine providence is just so uh, I mean it's it's everywhere so it's hard to say it's more somewhere than another place but he just says that it's so careful when it comes to leading people in marriages or to marriages and that I would just think is a process that yeah can take as long as it needs and it doesn't have to even be you know, there's no sense of pressure or something like that. It's all, it's the way the Lord always leads us is as of ourselves, you know, so it's never this feeling of somebody else is making me go on these blind dates or something like that. Um, and, uh, but um, yeah, so Karen. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Nothing is forced. I, I feel like I've even read like sentences in Swedenborg's books that say, Providence, it's it just like totally against Providence that anyone would be forced to do anything because we, we are human from the ability to choose what we want to do, you know, including wanting to let the Lord guide us or, or be in, in a love relationship with somebody else. So nothing is going to be forced on anyone. And, and like you were saying, Jonathan, there's eternity is a long time. Um, I think a lot of times you are just measuring what marriage means from very earthly perspective. Maybe you've observed marriage relationships that just were so hard and painful. You just don't want anything to do with it. Or maybe you had experiences. So uh, you can trust that you won't be forced into anything. And that when you get to the afterlife, you might just find that marriage is just very different than what you had thought about it in the world because it's it's just <laughs> this is a hard place to be as hard to have relationships and it's hard to learn to get along in all sorts of ways so um marriage can be quite a challenge so it's it's gonna feel great and it won't be forced and you you don't have to do anything you don't want to do yeah yeah and and interestingly just as a sort of a tangent but uh Swedenborg even describes married couples being required to not be together for certain stretches of time so that they can do their own sort of work that they need to in order to support their future marriage together. So even, uh, you know, there's, that's just a flip on it, of course, that it's like there's processes set in place to make it work for everybody. And, and that certainly requires sometimes for us to be on our own and not, you know, to work on our own stuff and not necessarily be in the dynamic of a relationship um, yet. So, um, 
So thank you so much, everyone, for being with us for this show. This is our first Swedenborg Live on a Friday afternoon. Um, and uh, and so upcoming next week, uh, stick around. Our Monday show, Swedenborg in Life, is going to be continuing this theme of marriage. And it's going to be how you will find your soulmate after death. Um, and so that's exploring more along these lines of of what are the processes that are in place to help us get clear about that question um in the afterlife that swedenborg learned about and um but then even just uh before then we've got our uh podcast coming out on sunday this sunday the 19th inside off the left eye it's called and that is we're going to be exploring after death communication and then an interesting thing from swedenborg's own life, this publishing gap that he had between the 1758s and 1763. Um, and so you can listen to that on Sunday and you can subscribe. Um, and so whether whether it's an audio or visual form, we hope to be connected with you all again soon um, here or uh, next week on the live show on Swedenborg Live. Um, but so connect with us however you can. And again, thank you so much for your donations and your support. They mean the world to us. And I want to give everybody a chance to say goodbye. So we'll sort of do a circle again. So Karin. Thank you for the wonderful questions. It's always wonderful to hear what's on your mind and discuss it with you. And we love you all. <laughs> I agree. It's just a blessing to be part of this, uh, this whole effort and to hear your questions. Thanks for putting your hearts and minds out there and, and uh, tolerating our responses. <laughs> Thank you, everybody. <laughs> yeah. Great to be here with you all. And I always learn so much from the other panelists in these discussions. So it's it's win-win, yeah, win-win-win. Thanks for watching. That's great. <laughs> I want to just add that if, if your question didn't make it into this show, please post it later. You can email it to us or post it under the show when the stream's done. We, we will get to it. That's right. We've got our moderators always standing by wanting to chat this way all the time. And so... Uh, yeah, thank you so much and hope you guys all have a great week. <laughs>